So for me, I want my clients to win, right? Like my heart is with my clients. And so litigating uh, is adverse to that, right? Like I want you to stay out of litigation. I want that $50,000 to go to your kids. I want that $50,000 to go to, you know, your marketing or something that has, that shows you value, not trying to get out of or being screwed by, you know, another thing for $200,000, right? So it, it's a different mindset. I'm very different than most attorneys, like in that respect. They're looking at it, oh, if I bill these absurd rates, then I get as much money as humanly possible. But that's not what's best for the client. And that's why settling typically makes the most sense. Not always. I'm not going to say that that's 100%. There are instances where you're right and the other party's wrong, and there's a need for someone to do that. But those are a small percentage. And the court system is backed up to absurdity at this point as it is. So if you're looking for a quick, easy, like, I want my money uh, in business, especially, it's not going to happen, right? It's going to take two to three to five years. And when you put it in context of that, it's like, okay, what's your stress level worth, right? Like, wouldn't that energy be better focused on doing something else? The Move Entrepreneur Evolved Podcast. Get on it. All right, we're back with another episode of Moved Entrepreneur Evolved. And I'm with Taylor Darcy. Super excited to have you here, an attorney. He's also local here in San Diego, where I'm out of. And he helps entrepreneurs, startups, small businesses, medium-sized businesses with legal needs. What's up, Taylor? How you doing, man? Not much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here. I, I hope that you're not getting sun because I'm not getting any today. No, nah, it's raining outside. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's quite drizzly here, which is weird is. for San Diego. <laughs> so um, I see that uh, looking through here, you passed the bar in 2017. Uh, mm-hmm. Not too far back, but boy, do you learn a lot very quickly. Am I right? That's correct. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's correct. Um, you know, I've I've helped before I was an attorney, I've helped lots of different businesses get started. So this was just a, a natural extension. I helped my parents with their business when I was a kid. So this is just kind of like, even though I, I have the degree and the, the bar license to go with it, uh, now I've been helping businesses like this uh, since I was 12, 13. So this isn't new to me. Um, I'm I'm well-versed in the uh, entrepreneur world. Uh, I'm also very well-versed in, you know, having to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, and everything that that takes and the struggles that small businesses face. I'm, I'm intimately familiar with as not only am I a small business owner, but I'm also helping small business owners. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, I'm, I'm in the trenches with you, no matter who you are. So. And, and, you know, when we talk about business and we talk about legal and everything like that, you know, there's the people that are cold starting their car and then there's people that already have gas in it and they're already kind of taken off. Where do you find people are having most struggles these days? Because we have so many changes. Is it the actual like, Hey, I'm doing things wrong in the beginning and I'm just cold starting, you know, wrong. Or are you finding people that are just too late and they're just like, look, I'm going back and trying to fix things. What do you, what do you find that, kind of medium? I think there's a mix of, of all of those. Um, first of all, it's never too late. Well, I shouldn't say never, but there's, there's very few instances when it's too late. Very, very few. But, uh, you know, most people have the hardest time getting started. Like they have a great idea and uh, they sit on it 
and or they're they've got the analysis par or paralysis by analysis or whatever that that saying goes, uh, where the, you know they're they're so busy analyzing it that they, they don't just get started, and that's probably the biggest issue that I see from from that and and they're not willing to put in the effort that goes with it. Like they have the great idea, but then it's the execution. That's why like some entrepreneurs will come to me and they're like, oh, I want I want to make sure I'm protected. I want to I want to get an NDA. And I'm like, here, here's the reality. Reality is, is that an NDA is a piece of paper, first of all. People can walk through that if they really, really want to, sure. no matter how ironclad it might be. Um, but then here's the other thing. You got to capitalize on the fact that people are lazy. Uh, people typically won't steal an idea. Why? Because it's too much effort for them. And there's no proof of concept yet, right? Like it's it's expensive to get something developed. And so if you don't have the passion that goes with it, most people are going to be like, why bother spending the time and energy to maybe get some money or maybe get a proof of concept on this versus the people that like, if you're at that point where you're getting proof of concept and things work are working for you, then you're looking at maybe an NDA to, to keep you. But a lot of people are, like I said, just too dang lazy. They don't get started. Uh, and, and I'm not trying to insult, I'm talking about the people that are going to try to steal from you, right? Like they're not going to put that effort in when I say lazy. I don't mean that the entrepreneurs are necessarily lazy. I think they are afraid more than anything. I think fear keeps more people from obtaining their objectives than the actual things that are going to keep you from your objectives, right? Like, I mean, they, they look at obstacles and, and they don't see a way through them. And so they give up, right? Or I was literally, that was going to be yeah. one of the kind of the questions that I was going to bring up next, which was really like, you think of everything that can go wrong. So you think that there's these barriers that you have to solve right away. I'm, I was right. guilty that my very first time having to go get my business license. I mean, I remember just being terrified walking into this building. It's all white. It's like stone. It's always like something bad has yeah. to happen here. Right. So this is intimidating factor. I think there's a, probably a great opportunity to have these kind of conversations, which is basically like, what do you think, is that fear that people notice? Do you think it's that they're going to write the wrong contract? Do you think that it's that they're going to um, not have the right words? I mean, I've, I, I'm guilty that when I started my business, but when I went into the consultant stuff, I was more terrified of the contract than anything. I'm like, I better, better, you know, make sure this contract, because I felt like I was a go-getter. And if I don't have a contract, that's good. But it really held me back. I mean, being quite honest, yeah. I mean, that was one thing for me looking back. I mean, how many credit card transactions do the restaurant? And they're like, sign your credit card thing. I've been doing this for how long in my entire life? I, they've never called me and right. said, is this your signature, sir? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think fear of the unknown is is probably the biggest one. But yeah, I mean, people get they're, they're caught up in the details. And one of the things is you have to accept the fact that you're going to fail. Like one at, at something, right? You're going to make a mistake. And I use fail as a, a very like harsh term. But the moment that you accept that, and rather than looking at failure as a bad thing, look at failure as an as a opportunity to improve and get better at something. So maybe your first contract, like I write contracts all the time, right? Um, but I'm an attorney. And so when you look at a contract from a, an attorney versus a contract from a non-attorney, you're going to see a pretty big difference or you should see a pretty big difference, right? And so to, to kind of add to your point is if you're going to make mistakes on that contract, 
And you have to evaluate what that mistake is worth to you. It could be thousands of dollars in some instances, tens of thousands of dollars. I've had clients in the past where they wrote a bad contract, be honest, and they ended up getting sued over it. And the way that the contract was written, they were liable. And it was a real problem because they're like, well, I thought I did a good job. And I'm like, I, you didn't, you did a bad job. And you don't know what you don't know. And so you don't know like what I'm looking at a contract when I'm, when I'm, you know, staring it down and, and giving it my, my all, like I'm going through that and I'm, I'm finding every word and every period and every comma to make sure that you're as protected as possible. Now, nothing's 100%. There's no way that no contract is ever going to protect you for everything, right? There's, it's just not possible. There's too many scenarios that could fall outside of that contract. But the important thing is having a contract to start and, and making an iterative process. A lot of people will use the same contract from four years ago today and it doesn't even apply. And not only does it not apply, but now all of a sudden, instead of paying, like for instance, if there was a lawsuit, this guy should have paid only about $2,000. That should have been the amount. But because his contract was drafted so poorly, he ended up paying $6,000. And there wasn't much I could do to make it better, right? Like, I mean, there's only so much I can do because he chose to draft the contract on his own. And I'm not saying you have to use an attorney, but I will tell you this much. Most of the contracts that you get off the internet are crap. Um, they're garbage. And, and the reason why is because they're trying to be everything to everyone. And most of the time that doesn't fit your scenario, right? So maybe like a good way to look at this and maybe you'd have a better backing on this statement would be like, you know, what should somebody budget for a contract on? Let's just use consulting contract or something like that. What, what would be like a budget out there of somebody that should look at something like that? So it really depends on the contract. I mean, like, honestly, like I have to know more about it before I can say like, what's a good budget for it. But I mean, I've seen simple contracts where, um, you know, $1,500 is a good price. And then I've seen it where, I mean, it, it's eight to $10,000, right? And it really depends on the contract and how much time and effort that needs to go into it. I don't, I, like, I think for me, are, my, I think that oh, gives, that gives some, yeah. a barometer for people because, you know, you're not going into business to make $2,000, you know, you, no. you go to church and they ask you to tie 10%. Maybe we can kind of carry that over a little and say, once you get to a certain amount, you know, maybe you float yourself for a little bit and then shore up your issues. Make sure you can make money. Well, not only that, but you've got to look at it risk versus return. Okay. I, I mean, because a lawsuit is going to cost you a heck of a lot more money than a well-drafted contract, right? Like I, like I was saying with that previous client where, you know, if I would have drafted that contract for 1500 bucks for this person, that would have saved them $4,000, right? Because of their liability on it. So it's, it's not always about, and this was a photographer. Um, so it was a service industry, you know, perspective. Um, so it's not always about the money that you spend. It's about the money that you protect or the, the situation that you protect. Uh, because are, are you absolutely always going to get sued? No. Is there a fairly high statistical likeliness of you getting sued? Absolutely. Um, people have this weird misconception that business owners have more money than they do. And so they'll sue businesses more regularly than they will a person. Ironically, with a business, they like asset wise, unless you're fairly, very well established, your assets for as an individual are going to be higher than as a business owner, right? Like 
once you start getting medium-sized business, then we can talk about like asset levels being worth suing for. But anything less than medium, most of the time, most people are in their person have more asset. And, and I'm referring to your house, right? Your house is your biggest asset typically always. And in California, it's almost without question, your biggest asset ever. Yeah. Um, and so you're risking your house, right? If if you don't do a contract or you don't have a business entity, that's my other favorite thing is a lot of people try to get started on their own thinking they don't need a business entity like an LLC or a corporation or that type of thing. And what, what you don't understand is you're contractually liable up until you get that entity, right? And so your house, your 401k at your job, your all of these different assets that you have worked so hard to obtain are at risk until you get that entity. And so they're not looking at it. They're looking at it as a side hustle or, you know, I don't want to deal with the complexities of this. Well, with that complexity comes... The, what's called the corporate veil and 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 it comes security, right? You spend a little bit of money, relatively speaking, you get situated right. And then you have the peace of mind that foreboding some serious issues, your home is protected, right? I mean, if your home's worth a half a million dollars, and I mean, California right now, even in uh, some of the worst places in San Diego, you know, you're looking at three quarters of a mil to a mil, right? So when you're putting, okay, so you're going to risk your million dollar home even in the worst case scenario or not great home for saving $2,000 for saving $3,000. Like to me, it just, the math doesn't make sense, but business owners are, uh, you know, they go to Google and I mean, Google is great for answering one question, the one that you put in front of it. Right. But it's not thinking three steps ahead. It's not thinking four steps ahead. And that's where you really want to have your advisors. Your, your consultants that have been there before, number one, your attorneys uh, and your CPA or accountants. Those are your people. Those are the people that are going to give you the unvarnished truth or they should, right? They shouldn't blow sunshine. They shouldn't tell you everything's peachy when it isn't um, because you need to know the good and the bad, right? Yeah. That's, that's just how it is. Yeah, it was really interesting. And I think that your statement too was like, sometimes people think that businesses have more cash reserves than they do. And they think that they could just, oh, I'm just going to sue them for this. There's just going to be this cash reserve to pay it out. I actually heard something. I didn't, I didn't even know this, but law firms at the end of the year, get rid of all their money. They literally just try to get rid of most of their cash. And they say, look, we're starting over. So when the pandemic hit, I would yeah. hear things about law firms going, wait a minute, we don't have any, we don't have any cash to kind of carry over. And they're kind of like the concert industry. You know, it's like, hey, we're floating the money because we're paying out the bonuses and everything like that. So even, yeah. I guess that my point is, is even those that you look at that should have massive cash reserves, I'm sure their money's invested, you know, the well, partners, things like that. But it's just interesting that people yeah. have assumptions of what somebody right. does because of either assumed revenue or or even even more because of advertising and the way they look like they're perceived doesn't always carry as much weight. What was yeah. um what was one of the things I kind of going back a little bit and I know you had sure. mentioned about being younger. I think that this is always fascinating. And um, this podcast is about the evolution of the entrepreneur. Um, and I think that your story was really cool and you tapped on something, you said something like, um, when I was 12 years old, I had this feeling that I always wanted to help out. And I think that's just a problem solving mind. You just started early, said, wow, I can start, start problem solving those. But what, what was that, um, do you think, in you? 
because you probably would have found it in somewhere. I mean, that's right. in your blood. <laughs> so I saw, you know, firsthand what my parents struggled with, right? Like getting clients. Um, they were carpet cleaners. I saw what it was like to have problems with billing. I saw what it was like to have problems with contracts. Um, they signed a contract uh, with a, a, a an old motel to clean their carpets uh, for $15 a room. And then they offered a 90-day guarantee that if spots came back, that they would go back out and, and uh, take care of them. Well, the problem was the motel would take advantage of that. And right when the 90 days was up, oh, mysteriously, there's new spots or these spots came back. So then my dad would go out, back out and clean them. And so by the, when you started doing the math on it, they were doing it for like $5 a room and losing money on it, like from the chemicals and the time and the, and all that stuff, but they got caught in that loop, right? Like they didn't have an, an escape clause, if you will. Uh, they didn't have a way to say, no, we're not doing that because of how poorly their contracts were drafted, but they were of this old, old school mindset that, well, attorneys are too expensive or I don't have the money to spend on that because of this, right? Like it's the, 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 uh, you can't, you can't save your way out of a lot of problems in business, right? Every, almost every problem in business, pretty much every problem in business can be solved with more money, right? Like, I mean, that's just the way it is. You can only go so cheap. There's, there's just no way you can make money off of nothing, right? Like you have to invest whether it's time or money. Those are your two things. Those are your options. So you can't look at it and go say, well, I'm just going to be as frugal as humanly possible and never spend any money. And I'm going to make millions, right? Like it's just not possible. You need to have your tools of your trade. You need to have your, your things that can make you money, right? Like for my parents, it was, it was carpet cleaning chemicals. It was a, a big van with a big truck mount in it, right? So they had to have those tools, but those cost money. And when you're not factoring in all of these costs that go with it, well, what's that worth to you, right? So, you know, the problem with like right now with the gig economy is that there's a very low barrier to entry, which is both a good thing and a bad thing. The, can I, I just want to make sure that that was the gig economy? Yeah, the gig economy, like Uber and- I'm, I've never heard anybody call it that. That's great. Oh, the gig economy. okay. So okay. yeah, the gig economy, uh, Uber and DoorDash and all of these types of things where you're just, you're you're very- transactional, right? Like all you're doing is one thing at a time and going on and doing another. There's very low barriers to entry to that. And that's both good and bad, right? Like it doesn't take a lot of money to get started, but then people treat it that way. Like they don't treat it like a business. Mm -hmm. It's easy to pick up and put down. And the number one difference between people that are successful with their businesses and unsuccessful with their business, this is it. This is, this is the money. This is where it's at is a mindset shift. Most people are used to being an employee, right? That's just, they're used to somebody else telling them what to do and them going and doing it, okay? The problem is, is that as an entrepreneur or as a business owner, you have to be changing your mind from doing the work, you know, being told to do the work to doing the work and then eventually getting to tell somebody else to do the work, right? But you have to shift your mindset from this being told what to do and I'm just going to do what my job says I'm supposed to do and I'm not going to do anything extra. Most most businesses owners are, are, are struggling with that internal thing. Like, what do I want to do? I'll, I'll be honest with you. When I'm not working, I'm thinking about work. I have a hard time shutting off. I have a hard time 
stopping work because there's always something extra that I could be doing. That's why I've been in business for four years and I plan on being in business for another 20 years, 30 years, right? Because I'm not looking at today. I'm looking at next week, next year, next month, uh, you know, whatever time period in order to move forward, right? Like the mindset is different than an employee that's just there to pick up a paycheck, right? And so that one shift is the big difference that I've seen in business owners that are successful and keep going and business owners that eh, after a few months of a struggle of being a, of a business owner, they call it quits. Yeah. It's sad because they have a lot of good ideas. They have a lot of options there. They just kind of go, man, give up. And it's, 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 we're hurting the, the economy at large when we do that. There's who's going to be the next Apple, right? Yeah, we need your minds. We well, yeah, we mind. do. We need your ideas. We need your minds because there's, there's this concentration of wealth in a very few companies and they end up buying all of these other companies. And sometimes that's your purpose, right? You get started with the purpose of getting bought. But then other times, what about if, if Apple would have done that, right? If their whole purpose was to have gotten bought, they wouldn't have become what they are, right? And, and I'm not saying necessarily fanboy Apple, but I'm saying like, Microsoft, same thing, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, all of the big companies that are out there, all of the multinational conglomerates all started small, right? And it took them years and it took them a long time to get there, but they're on the acquiring of businesses rather than on the uh, being bought by business. And so if you want to get to that level, you've got to think in 10-year periods, right? You've got to be thinking farther than just next month, next week, next year. I think that it's really interesting because, you know, you come on here and say, oh, what, no, what's what's our law conversation going to be? And yeah. as you go through it, it's it all comes back to how you think. And, you know, in most of the time, you're like, I can write a contract for you. I mean, it's really you, you have the understanding, you know how to put things together, you understand the law and you're like, OK, I can do this, but I'm not going to change your life if I don't tell you these other one, two and three points, because the contract's not going to get you moving and a contract doesn't make you no. sales. A contract doesn't solve anything. The reality is you're going to have to defend that contract sometime. And then when you defend that contract, you'll be thankful you have it. You know, I've been in three big lawsuits. Fortunately, I was on, on the okay side. And I, won, right. I actually won both of the cases. And I had gone back and I had all my paperwork. I was all set up. I had a good contract. And that's what allowed me to go through. But it doesn't mean that the next time I'm going to win. It just means no. basically that that time I was prepared. I have everything going. On the other flip side, it could be on my side. I got to make yeah. sure that I have my pieces in, in play. But I think that it's it's really interesting because you never really end up in a fight unless you go to war. Like you can't you can't really yeah. get any of those things um, unless you set those up. I think that um, talking about mindset, um, and I think talking about um, you know building your team, you know, your, your liabilities, your assets, your, all those things. But I think you touched on something that I don't think that people think about a lot. And, you know, I, that's why I try to network as much. You never know who you're going to meet, but at right. the end of the day, it's like, you do need that person that you can go, Hey man, they might not have the answer, but at least they got 10 steps ahead of what I have. Right. And, you're, and what you said, you're going to buy that. Yeah. You're going to buy that. I also think that you touched on a really good subject, and that is thinking 10 years ahead and to look at these companies and failure is an interesting thing. If you think that you're trying to be in business for the next six months and survive, your decisions will be six month decisions. 
Yeah. And so if you fail in the second month, you oh man, it's not going to make, I didn't get rich six months. But if you said, look, I, I have something good here. I have three years. I have five years. I mean, how many butchered problems you and I probably could go off like, be like, dude, that went wrong. That went wrong. Yeah. Because you're in the battle, right? You have the chuckle right yep. now because you know what I'm talking about. You know, yep. it's like, all right, you know. I'm in the so, foxhole. Yeah. What was that? That I'm in the foxhole. I mean, if, you know, if you think, uh, think new Coke, right? Like when you think about failures, um, but also think about successes. You know, if you ever wonder if you have an idea that could be different than somebody else's, walk down the bread aisle. How many types of white bread are there, right? I mean, like it's the same blessed thing. It might taste a little bit differently. I mean, slightly, it might have a different recipe to it. But I mean, so if, if you're sitting there thinking, oh, I could never do this. Well, guess what? There's a difference between Pepsi and Coke, right? There's Dr. Pepper. There's, I mean, there's so many options. And I use those as people because people know those things. But it's the same thing for people that are afraid to get started, right? Like you're going to fail and accept it, accept it, be okay with it. Like, go oh, this month, you know, I had a crappy month. Next month, what did I do wrong? Or what did I do differently this month? Did I not follow up on those leads? that I was uh, up, you know, that, that contacted me? Did I, um, was I charging too much? Maybe you were, maybe you're not. Maybe you were charging the perfect amount because I found that people will pay what you, they value you for, right? And so if you're not charging enough, then you're going to resent your client and you're not going to want to do as good of a job as possible. So when you charge what you're worth, and you know fundamentally what you're worth, right? Like, like intrinsically, you know what you're worth. I had a, a, a client that she was social media advertising and she, um, she was just going to charge $25 an hour for this and $15 an hour for that. And I, I, I had to talk her out of it. I'm like, no, you need to start charging what a business owner would charge, right? Because you have your expenses, you've got taxes. You've got marketing, you've got your own marketing, right? Like you're a marketer, but you have your own marketing, right? Like you have to let people know that you exist and you have your accountant, you have all of these different things that you need to be able to pay for. So if you're only charging $25 an hour, which is what you would get paid as an employee, you're not, you're going to be out of business. You're never going to make it as that because you're never going to be able to have the capital to invest in your business to expand, to grow, to continue to get clients, even if most of your clients are word of mouth, right? So a lot of these like mechanics, for instance, is a great example when they open their own shop, right? You know, they, they charge an hourly rate, which you and I, you know, it's painful, but at the same time, it's a car, you need a car, that type of thing. You're going to spend that money, but, but their focus is on that, that hourly rate. Well, guess what? You can't charge enough to make your hourly worth it. There's just not a way of doing it. You got 24 because you can't, can't scale that way. Yeah. There's only eight hours in a day. So your maximum income is going to be eight times $150 an hour, right? That's your maximum income per day times five days. So, I mean, just doing the math on that, do whatever the math. But the point is, is that so that's your maximum. So maybe you're, maybe you stay open a six day. Well, aren't you exhausted at that point? right? That sixth day, you're just done with, with work. You're done with the, the, that type of thing. So you need to be thinking farther ahead than that, right? Like, okay, how can I scale my business? Well, that's where you bring in employees. That's where you bring in people that can do things that you can't do, right? Like for instance, hiring a marketing company, 
as an as a mechanic, I've never heard of a mechanic hiring a marketing company, right? It's always word of mouth, which is great. Don't get me wrong, but how do you grow with that, right? Like, I mean, eventually, there's not enough word of mouth to go around because everybody has their favorite mechanic, and they're all going to spend the money that they're going to spend on whatever car repairs they need, mm-hmm. and it's just it's just not going to happen. So you need to be thinking about what type of lifestyle you want, right? What, what is your, uh, you know, vivid vision is what one of my mentors talks about. What's your dream here? Like, is it to work for the rest of your life or are you going to set yourself up for success? You know, a a lot of entrepreneurs start off doing the day-to-day stuff. Nothing wrong with that. But what you need to do is get beyond that day-to-day thing, get into the, the thought process of, okay, who can do this for me so that I can focus on, the next 10 years, right? Like that's, that's part of it. It's usually vision in, in a form of sales. I mean, that's, yeah. That's job. Yeah. Because I mean, if, if you're not doing your vision, then, then part of it is systematizing your business, right? Like your business, if you have to work your business and you can't work your business anymore, and that's the whole value that you have, you don't have anything. Yeah. You need systems in, pro- in place. You need to be able to systematize it so that they, you literally could pluck you out of that business and the business still maintain, still work, still continue to grow, still continue. So that someday when you decide to sell it, right? Like, or you try to retire and you've spent years building this business and you go to sell it and it's worth $150,000, right? That's your max. That's your that's your fifty thousand dollars times three. That's what most businesses quote unquote go for for the valuation, because it's all about you. Yeah, you've got a good client list. Great, you've got your your assets, your hard assets. Wonderful, but if you don't have systems in place for handling processes and problems and and things that come up, then your value is substantially less than someone who has systematized things. And made it so that anybody could plop in there because now all of a sudden that's a real asset. We're talking like the difference between that 150,000 to a million dollars by systematizing whatever it is that you're doing. And that's huge. I mean, if it just by spending extra time on your business instead of in your business, I know that gets said a lot, but by drafting these procedures and these systems so that anybody can walk in and take over your job, right? Then all of a sudden, it creates more value. And, and here's my example. The stock market, for instance, a share in a corporation is worth very little because who are you going to sell it to? You can't. There's nobody to sell it to. Very few people that can sell it to because there's all sorts of laws and restrictions against that, SEC, securities, that type of thing. So it's very hard to sell stock in a non-public company. Uh, okay. I was going to ask because you of that. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Right. Yeah. But once you go public, the average is that that stock is worth 20 times more than that, that private stock because of the public nature of it. Because now all of a sudden it can be traded, right? I can get cap, rid of it volume, if I don't like that. Yeah, exactly. You've got volume, you've got trading, you've got people willing to buy it. Because anybody can buy it, right? It doesn't, there's no pre-qualifications. There's no securities laws that are yeah. that are, are hurting you with, with uh, accredited investors and that type of thing. So all of a sudden, something that, it, it, so when you're looking at it, when you're looking at your business, are you running it to get to that point where it's worth that, where you're able to spend that 
like, is it worth that 20 times, right? So if your stock is worth $10 now, now I'm not saying you have to go public. That isn't my point on that. But by when they do these things, they've gotten to that point where it's systems, where they've developed it and the, the CEO can step out of the role um, and, and be owner, right? Instead of being the CEO or whatever position within the company. And that's that's something that these are the goals. These are the things that you have to take with you and start thinking about. Because if if it's just you, what if you died of a heart attack tomorrow, right? What's what's going to happen to your business if you died of a heart attack? Or heaven forbid, your significant other uh, passes away and you need to take care of your kids, right? What are you going to do? You're going to have to hire somebody to take care of your kids versus if you've systematized your business and made it to so that you can run without you. Well, now all of a sudden, great. Now your business is running without you where most of your money is going to come from. Yeah. And you can go take care of your family. You, you can, can go take care of the time. things that are grieve important management. to you. You can actually but, grieve. You would actually be able to right. grieve. Yeah. Exactly. Rather than having to be back at work on Monday morning, mm-hmm. you know, say your significant other passes away on a Friday and you have to be back at work on Monday morning cool. because that business is going to die without you. Right. Like you can't put food on your table because you chose to not systematize or not get it to that point where you can step away for a week or two or a month or a year. Right. Like that's the idea. And this this goes into the the passive income category of of a lot of entrepreneurs, right? Like they want to create passive income. And that's great. And I'm not uh debating, there's lots of ways of doing it. But if you're an entrepreneur, right? If you're starting that business, I mean, there's so many ways you can do this. This is just one of those ways by systematizing and getting your business started uh, well. I'm sure that I'm sure that you're going to agree. I mean, you'll know the book. It starts with an E. <laughs> e myth. Oh yeah, I've I haven't read it. I mean, I think I I've mean that's the Godfather, it. man. It is yeah, the it Godfather. Is. It is. And then there's another one called I think it's Work the System. Um, another guy wrote a book as well. His is a simpler form uh, of the book. Um, but E Myth is is a great book for um, you know just breaking it down. He talks about a, a gal inside of a I believe she's in a bakery, and he just walks in. She says, "How can I systematize this?" You know, and he breaks it down. It's like every single business can be systematized. You know, yeah. and as you go through that process, you know, I've consulted. I'm, I'm even. I'm, I have a client right now that I consult. I'm like, look, man, you have you don't have to sit down and do what you used to have. Like you have all the data in front of you now, like literally systematizing in today's day is really just creating some really good automations. I mean, when you look at, you know, uh, acquisition and things like that, and a a company comes into, if even if you listen, you know, use your example of carpet cleaning and things like that. If they just came in and said, you have an automated campaigns that run four times a year, they say, each time we run a campaign quarterly, we generate an extra $25,000. That's, right. that's, you know, that's already predicted money. I mean, that's already, okay, great. So that's $100,000 that I can predictable, that's predictable as a system. The other one is I've got contacts that are coming in. I mean, even as we signed up for, you know, you set up this podcast and everything like that, it's like, you're getting a text yeah. message, you're getting an email, you know, you're yep. getting some information already. I mean, even in a podcast, it becomes valuable. What if someday here, Someone comes in and say, man, Jason Starbuck, you know, all they got to do is do these things and they're much better than him. <laughs> and yeah. they could just basically go, great, let's take his audience, shove a couple people in and let's run with the audience as long as you have something there. I think that you're, yeah. 
I think that you're putting in, and I think that I, what I think people need to hear is that the conversations about entrepreneurship, but coming from a legal background, there's two things that you've brought up that are very important to entrepreneurs. One is that you saw things at a young age, you wanted to solve problems. I mean, if you don't like solving problems, you're probably in the wrong damn field. I mean, point yeah. I mean, just get out and do your own thing because they're coming. <laughs> and, yep. and, and then the second one is that one of those one of those tools is actually having an attorney that can help you out and that can actually solve those problems is is part of the steering wheel it's part of the door it's like you're not going to drive a car without it if you are you got yourself a clunker and you're in a lot of trouble um yeah i, I saw another thing and obviously you talk about i think this is a word that people probably get intimidated by but you do you mentioned you do litigation so maybe you can give some do you do litigation? Am I right? No, I, I actually stopped litigating. Okay. And, and the reason that's okay. So there, there's a reason why I did that was because I like solving problems before they are problems. Hmm. Um, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot more cost effective for me to write a good contract at $1,500 than it is to solve a con a, a contract dispute um, to the tune of six to 10,000, $20,000. Yep. Right. You can go broke on a, on legal fees, right? You screw over the wrong business partner and you're looking at the business end of $150,000 to $200,000 lawsuit, right? And so you're going to spend twenty dollars to $50,000 defending yourself. It's going to be expensive versus if you have a good contract, you know, maybe it's not going to be $200,000, but, or maybe you're not going to, you know, you're not going to get away from nothing, right? Like very rarely do you get away with nothing, but you might get it to $50,000, which if you're looking at it, would I rather spend $50,000 on settling a problem or $50,000 and then still have to pay the, if, if I lose, right? Like, so now I'm paying 250,000 uh, instead of just $50,000. And so that type of creative problem solving where I'm solving problems for a lot less money than what it would be to litigate it is, is where my heart is, right? Because in the end, if you're spending $50,000 on litigation, that's $50,000 less than what you could spend. Why don't you on... give a definition of litigation? And the reason I was bringing that up, because I think it's a very sure. intimidating word to entrepreneurs as they get going. That's where I was getting at. And then I, I liked okay. how, you, how you went, I ain't doing that anymore. But yeah, the reasons so, are, you explained it really well. But I think that if you could just explain so that people when they're, maybe it's not as intimidating as they think and or why they would go the other route and preparing early than getting to this nasty little Sure. So litigation is the is the official term of a dispute that is being heard by the legal system. Okay. There's there's three types of dispute resolution. Uh, there's litigation, which is heard in the courts. In California, it starts the superior court. Then it, if there if there's an appeal, it goes to the appellate court, and then it can go up to the Supreme Court. Um, those are the the. The, that's the court system in, in a very short nutshell. Then there's what's called arbitration. And arbitration is basically a private judge. Okay? Litigation is very costly and, and expensive and time-consuming. Uh, litigation can take anywhere between, if you're talking like short-term, anywhere between a year to five years. 
Like that's, it's a very long process. It's not something that you get your problem or your dispute solved within a very short period of time. Unlike TV, uh, TV does a terrible job of, of talking about litigation. Litigation looks like on TV, you file a complaint today, you go to court next week, you get your money the following week. That's how they paint it on TV. That's not real. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have small claims court, which is for disputes under $9,999.99 that you can represent yourself at. Very limited discovery. Discovery is a a process of obtaining information. I'm not going to go into too much detail because that's well, like that's a whole topic. I think the word explains a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of work involved with litigation. Then you have a what's called a limited civil case, which is uh, $10,000 to $24,999.99. Then you have an unlimited civil case, which is $25,000 and up. Um, so that's litigation. Arbitration is basically a private judge decides it. Both parties agree that they're going to pay this to the private judge. And the private judge is going to evaluate the facts and the evidence, and they're going to make a decision. The, the pro and the con of arbitration is it's faster but it's more expensive quicker. Uh, for instance, uh, an, arbiter, an arbiter is can be anywhere between $750 to $1,000 an hour. And most arbitrations last anywhere between two to three days. So you do the math. Um, so it's, but it's faster than litigation. Litigation is a slow process, very slow process. And then you have what's called mediation. And mediation is sort of like a subset of arbitration. It's not a in, it's not a judge. It's it's a person that's there to help you see the pros and the cons of your case and go, well, maybe, maybe not, right? Like, like it's an independent person. And so they evaluate the facts and they say, well, you might be able to get this, and here's what's against your case. And so here's where here are your strengths and your weaknesses. And those are all the the different dispute resolution things. So when you have a breach of a breach of contract, you can actually specify within that contract the different terms that you can adhere to for dispute resolution. So if you want to make it so that it, you have to go to mediation first, and then you know, go to arbitration first, and then go to litigation as a final resort, you can. Or you can. Um, I, I love contracts, by the way, for this reason because you can almost craft it to be exactly what is what you want like there are some what are called default rules versus mandatory rules i'm not going to go into huge detail there but so you can craft a scenario where you're more successful because of your contract uh than not and so you can actually say uh arbitration is is the only form of dispute resolution that we have okay you can say that in a contract um and so it it creates a scenario where you can craft your business to the way that you want it to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I talk about litigation, I talk about that in the broader sense of going through the superior court system, filing the complaint, uh, you know, the other party files the answer, vice versa, uh, then going through the discovery process, then going into eventually getting to trial. Most cases, most people don't know this, most cases settle well before trial. In fact, 80 to 90% of all cases settle before trial. And that's the goal, the, right? And the mediator's goal is to keep you out of court. Well, the attorney's goal should be to keep you out of court. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I say that because, the, and the reason why is number one, the court system is flawed. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. So, do you really want a third party deciding your fate for you? Mm-hmm. Right. Like the yeah. best 
resolutions are people that can come to an agreement and make a decision for themselves because it keeps the control in your in your hands. Do you want 12 people deciding your your guilt or innocence or your liability or non-liability or your breach or non-breach, right? Because they're going to interpret things differently. They're going to have their own biases, their own prejudices, their own things that they're going to think about that's right or wrong. And so that's not the best scenario. And then do you want a judge that's sitting there deciding the law for you? So when you put it in context, it's like, I'm always a bigger fan of, of maintaining control of situations. Like, and so that's why litigation is typically a lose-lose. You know who really wins are the attorneys that spend, that get paid hundreds of dollars an hour and, and over you know, years they can make thousands of dollars an hour of, of that time period because they're incentivized to spend as much possible time on that matter. So for me, I want my clients to win, right? Like my heart is with my clients. And so litigating uh, is adverse to that, right? Like I want you to stay out of litigation. I want that $50,000 to go to your kids. I want that $50,000 to go to, you know, your marketing or something that has, that shows you value, not trying to get out of or being screwed by, you know, another thing for $200,000, right? So it, it's a different mindset. I'm very different than most attorneys, like in that respect. They're looking at it, oh, if I bill these absurd rates, then I get as much money as humanly possible. But that's not what's best for the client. And that's why settling typically makes the most sense. Not always. I'm not going to say that that's 100%. There are instances where you're right and the other party's wrong, and there's a need for someone to do that. But those are a small percentage. And the court system is backed up to absurdity at this point as it is. So if you're looking for a quick, easy, like, I want my money uh, in business, especially, it's not going to happen, right? It's going to take two to three to five years. And when you put it in context of that, it's like, okay, what's your stress level worth, right? Like, wouldn't that energy be better focused on doing something else? Now, now back to there are absolute rights and absolute wrongs, right? I mean, we know that. Like uh, Ford, for instance, do you remember the Pinto case? I do. I do remember that. Okay. So Ford decided that the $11 piece that was going to uh, fix the Pinto, that it was cheaper to litigate it than it was to fix the stupid Pinto. And what so people for eleven dollars, it was it was blowing up when it was getting exactly because of the way the gas tank was situated on the vehicle, and their <laughs> the piece that would crazy. fix it like was eleven dollars. Forty-five years ago, or something. Yeah, it's it's been a while. Um, and and the same thing goes with like for instance the McDonald's case. You know that was another one that was like that, the where. Coffee. The coffee case, correct, where the media painted out as the woman was a, a money grubbing, you know, she was just greedy. Well, that's not the reality. McDonald's had been warned repeatedly to lower the temperature of their coffee, and they refused to do it. And it came out in trial that they had done it in order to reduce the amount of coffee that they were spending on free refills rather than just charging for a refill. They kept the company hot and it got expensive for them. Well, they did what's called a remediator, which is the short version is the damages that the jury awarded got reduced, remitted, reduced. Um, and so she, they, McDonald's didn't end up paying anywhere near the amount that she was awarded. And she was burned severely on her legs. And it was because of their negligence that that happened. So um, Target was probably the best, most recent example. Target did something so dumb. There was a... Um, 
in, in uh, I want to say Florida. Lots of stuff happens in Florida. I'm not dissing Florida. I'm just saying like stuff happens in Florida. Um, and they say, hey, it's in the water. It's got to be in yeah, the water. That's there's how you there's get something out about it. Florida. Anyway, uh, <laughs> there was a, I think it was in Florida. There was a girl that uh, picked up a hypodermic needle that had been used by someone. Don't know who. Ugh. Target knew about it. She got infected with something. Okay. And the mother just simply asked for a thousand dollars. That's all it was going to take to cover the medical expenses. That was it. There was, it was such a small amount. It blows my mind that Target's legal counsel wouldn't have said, pay it and run. Like that is such a cheap amount. Why wouldn't you pay it? Target refused. Okay. Target's like, nope, we're not paying it. It went to court and the jury awarded a million dollars. And you have to look at that. If I'm on the council, if I'm on, you know, if I'm on Target's legal team, I would have been mortified at that. Like the costs of defending that lawsuit far exceeded the stupid thousand dollars that it was to do it. Right. Like I would be telling them, pay the thousand dollars and move on and get out, you know, like whatever. Like I am shocked. Like it, it blew me away as an attorney to hear them do that. And so it's that those types of decisions that people make based on ego and I based was just on pride. Gonna, I was literally waiting for you to yep. finish your statement. And it, I was it can, literally going to say it comes down to your ego and your, and I've had to back out of a few things and situations. And I literally, yeah. I was in, um, I was in mediation or whatever. And I had a, I had something and I was like, look, I can fight for a lot more here and then I, I remember taking a step back and literally saying to myself, cash is good today than chasing yep. it tomorrow. And, tilt, and my ego was fighting me, man. I hated myself. And then yep. to this day, I just, you know, had to say, look, I, there was, I'd, I'd still be chasing the damn money. Yep. I'd still be chasing the money. That happens a lot. That happens a lot. Like, especially when people... Like when it's their ego, their pride, their feelings get hurt. And I get it. I get it. But the, the whole point is, is that the dispute resolution process is meant to get your feelings out of it, right? Is there a factual wrong? Is there a factual yeah. right? Is the law of right? Is the law of wrong on this? And again, if you've got the money and you want to litigate, by all means, knock yourself out. It's your choice to do it, your money with it. But a lot of times people get involved with litigation without understanding the consequences of it. Most people don't have the FU money it. to do that either. What? <laughs> Most people just don't have the FU money to egotistic. No, they don't. They, they don't. Like they're, you know, the old top gun, you know, your ego is writing uh, checks, your body can't cash, right? <laughs> like that, that happens a lot in, in business is that people's egos get the better of them. And, uh, you know, it, it, that's, that's when it gets expensive, right? Did if, you see if you, the case? Did yeah. you see the case with the Gorilla Goo? Did you see that one? The girl put mm -hmm. Gorilla Goo on her hair? I don't it was uh, I think I saw like a TikTok on it, but I did not she, see. Oh man, she put it on her hair and yeah. everybody came after because obviously this is a case that, you know, let's see if we can't, you know, go after a lawsuit and everything like that. Right, right. And she, and everybody actually started harassing her really, really bad. I mean, she took a bad rap on the thing and it came out and she was like, I didn't, I didn't do this to get, I mean, she had to go into, she literally had to go to a plastic surgeon. She had to go to a specialist to help her head and all these things. I don't wow. know what happened legally, but at the end of the day, it was like, 
she didn't really care that much. I mean, the majority of people just want to have their back scratched when there's a problem. They want to just be told, hey, you know what? We, we yep. understand you. Let's see if we can actually help you and make you, you know, it, in business, I think that one thing is forgotten is that the majority of people, if you kind of ask and you have a problem and you're actually decent about it, how many people will try to work with you? And, and right. it's, when it comes to the point, you see it a lot, probably, too. You're like, why did you fight that? Did you never even have a conversation? No, I was just pissed off. I didn't even go and have a conversation. What do you mean? Now you're already trying to sue them. You haven't even called them yourself and just said, look, this is the actions I'm probably going to take. Would you like to do this without it? And then they end up with you. And then you're like, we could you could have solved this. I mean, it's not that you don't make your living that way. If it wasn't right, for right. ego, you wouldn't make it. But at the end of the day, you know, part of this is is about, I think this conversation also is about entrepreneurs ego. Holy smoke. Yeah. You know, looking backwards, looking forward are two separate things, hundred percent, you know. Fear and ego. Like those are my uh, you know, those are your your both good and bad things. Like you have to have a certain level of confidence to become an entrepreneur, right? Like you have to be able to be willing to push record or push, you know, move forward and make action, take steps, right? So there's got to be some ego there, right? You, you're not going to see it a shy, timid woodland creature, so to speak, um, you know, being an entrepreneur for more than about 30 seconds. Yeah. At the same time, you know, people let that ego get in the way of true success, right? Um, they, they see, uh, like, for instance, oh, I can write a better contract than that attorney, or I don't need an attorney. Right. Or I don't need that CPA to check my taxes for me um, or fill in the blank. Right. I don't need anyone else. I can do everything myself. Well, you're going to work yourself into a heart attack. That's what's going to happen. Right. So true. And, and I think the modern entrepreneur, like you hear these people working 60, 70, 80 hours a week uh, on their business. And, and, and I think that's an old school entrepreneur mindset. Right. Like, I'm not saying it has to be per perfectly balanced. There's no way to make that happen. But if you don't enjoy the benefits of being an entrepreneur, of the flexibility of being an entrepreneur, then you're doing it wrong, right? Like if you're spending so much time being an entrepreneur that you can't take the time off to go spend time with your family occasionally, Very true. you're doing it wrong, right? Like it just doesn't make sense from a, like, you, yes, you might have to work more some weeks than others, but you know, take the time, enjoy your life. There's, it, there's always going to be work. So you have to accept that, right? You have to take that and say, okay, I'm going to let that work not get done right now because my family or my dog or my fish, I don't care, right? Is more important in that moment to take care of than that thing that maybe needs to get done. There are very, very few if, if you're honest with yourself, if an entrepreneur is honest with themselves, there are very few things that have to get done today, mm -hmm. right? I'm not saying to put it off. I'm not suggesting that. I'm not saying, you know, oh, put it off forever and always. But look at, you know, start like cataloging importance, right? Is this important? Is it urgent? Mm -hmm. Or can it wait for me to be able to go and enjoy my life and remember why I do entrepreneur stuff? Because if all you're going to do is sit at your desk for 12 to six, 15, 16 hours a day, then why not go work for somebody else and let them deal with the stress that goes with being an entrepreneur? You know, you go get your paycheck and you be happy with whatever your paycheck is, right? Like that's the difference. So if you're not out there being flexible, you know, and finding creative ways to solve problems, 
then, you know, maybe being an employee is a better fit for you. And I'm not, there's no judging here, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, I'm not judging you for doing that. Some people are great at being entrepreneurs and some people are much better at being an employees and knowing yourself and knowing what you're better at and what you'll be happier with is key. I mean, one of the keys to that success, don't let fear stop you, right? Like consult the people and pay for it. Like that's one of the biggest things that I get is people that want free legal advice. I'm like, okay, let's, let's think about that for a second. Do you do your job? Yes. Do you want to get paid for your job? Yes. Right? Like everybody deserves to be get paid. I don't do free uh, unpaid internships at my office. When I hire somebody, I pay them and I pay them well. Why? Because I don't want free work, right? Like I don't expect free work. I get paid. So why would I expect others to give me free work? I don't, people deserve that dignity, right? Like I pay at the top of this pay scale for whoever I hire, not because I want to, you know, pat myself on the back about it, but because I want their A effort. I want that pay effort that they're going to give me when I'm paying them that money. Right. Like I want them to know that I, I appreciate their work and that I'm willing to pay for it. Because if you're not, then, you know, how, what does that say about you as a person? Well, right? it also like, will determine on the way I, I found it's, it's also the way you do transactions is yourself. If you're right? always cheap, then you find the cheap way where you find the cheap people. I mean, it's, it's like, um, it, there's this, uh, there's just this little, I don't want to say caste system. I just want to say yeah. when it comes to this, but in a way it kind of is You're right. You kind of, you self cast, let's just put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> and once yeah. you start putting yourself there, you start looking for these things. You know, I, I check myself sometimes too. It's like, is that worth negotiating or is that, or am I just being whatever? Is that something negotiating is a totally different concept. It's just a look, I yeah. think that, I think that many times if you're going to, if you're going to negotiate service, you're in trouble. If you're going to negotiate a hard good game on, because at the end of the day, that product's not changing. It's in a manufacturing plant. Many times cost of goods break it down. They have a cost of returns. You know, all those things come in, but I always say, look, if a guy's going to come in and do your pool and he says, this is what it is. And you've seen his work and you go, that's the work that I want. And he sells you and he tells you the price. Hey, here, Here's his contract. Here's everything is going. If he doesn't deliver at the price that he said at the quality that he said he was going to do, go after his ass. But yeah. if at the on the other flip side, if you went to the guy who was super cheap, he probably doesn't have any money. If he has a problem, he probably can't fix it because there's no money that's there. But I think right. that comes, you know, families create that problem. You know, we all kind yep. of live a certain way. You know, how, you know, what area you lived in to try to grind yourself into becoming rich. That all comes with you. Um, I had, I had one more and I really wanted to throw this one to you because, uh, because sure. obviously, you know, you talk about I, so many evolutions. I think that you've brought up have been really good. You're very well-rounded in, in the way that you handle things. I, it's quite impressive. It's pretty cool. Blockchain and legal. What is your first reaction to that? Uh, okay. First, let me just finish. One thing I wanted to say is you can't cheap your way to success, right? Like you, you can try, and, but you're going to fail, right? Like people that are successful are, are not cheap, right? Like, because there's only so little you can get like, right? Like zero is it right. But you can always improve right? You can always get more, right? Like, so if you're looking at it from a growth versus, uh, you know, fiscal mindset or, or austerity mindset, 
Um, people that are growth mindset are going to grow. People that are of austerity are going to shrink, right? And I'm not talking about being fiscally irresponsible. I'm just talking about how you manage and how you treat people will affect how well you grow. That's that's what I want to finish saying. But hey, and how in the coin, people you attract. Yes, exactly. You never go to the attract. bar, or go to the club, and the guy introduces you to another guy that's successful. And he's like, hey, this is my cheap friend. <laughs> right? It's not really how it works. It's like, right? this guy is abundance. He probably has an abundance of friends. He probably has right? an abundance of a, a network. And you know what? Yep. If the bill comes out and it's uh, 350 bucks, the abundance is he recognizes that there's value of three or four people here, and he's going to put his card down and he's not going to flinch. And yep. at the end of the day, you want people that aren't going to flinch on those kind of things. Now, like you right. said, manage your money. You know, you, you know. As I got Take older, I realized yeah. I got to fight for my money as much as I got to go get. Yeah. I didn't realize that too. No. <laughs> yeah, you really do. So, as far as blockchain and legal, so legal is very progress adverse. Like they, the, the whole system is based upon what's called jurisprudence um, or stare decisis, which is uh, the short version of it is, is let the thing stand. And so like you look at uh, currently what's in the court system with uh, Roe v. Wade, right? Like that's the big thing from Texas happening. Okay. And so the issue is that the courts and the laws are very slow to react. So what you get is you kind of get this headbutting between blockchain that is a very progressive and new way of thinking about things and a new way of developing things. And you get the legal system that is very adverse to progress. Like we just, I'm not kidding you, within the last several years, got e-electronic filing for, yeah. for things. So it used to be we had to all manually file things at the court. Mm -hmm. And it's not like the internet hasn't been around for a few years, Yeah. but the courts just now got to it, right? And this is 2021, right? We're not talking like, it's insane. Yeah. Like there are still counties out there that do not do e-filing. You have to either fax it yep. or you have to paper file. So when you put it in context like that, blockchain being a very useful technology that, that would certainly be an opportunity for helping legal services is it's, it's going to be a long way off, right? Like, I mean, just from Good a point. sheer, the number of attorneys, because there's a lot of old school attorneys that still do things the same way they did them 20 years ago, they don't like change and they're not going to change. Then you get the newer attorneys that want to do things new, but they're not the decision makers, right? They're the ones yeah. that are hip no and ready to yet. do stuff, yeah. but they don't have the ability to make those changes. And then you get the people that are outside of those things. They want to make the changes. But then, unfortunately, there are rules of professional conduct that kind of screw with being able to make those types of changes. Hmm. So is it possible that we implement blockchain things into the legal field? Yes. Is it going to be anytime soon? Any Anytime soon and seriously? Probably not. Not because it doesn't deserve it, not that it doesn't need it, mm -hmm. but because people are change adverse and our field is, we're on the back end of the business cycle, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you look at it from a who's first versus who's last, we're there kicking and screaming our way into moving forward with things because of the very nature of what we're set on 
is precedent, right? We're set on cases that have existed for years. We're set on decisions that have happened, Mm. you know, 50, 60 years ago still stand, right? There, for instance, here's a good one for you. Um, is the, is your phone, okay, the facial recognition ID, does it violate your Fifth Amendment right to hold the phone up to your face as far as not testifying against yourself? Probably. <laughs> no, because you didn't have to do anything oh. to do that. The courts have found that it does not. Now, if you have to put your passcode in, that does because that's for that's forcing you to do something, right? Looking at your phone is not forcing you to do something. What a loophole. What? What a loophole. Right? But that's the type of thing that that has to get decided. Yeah. Because this new technology exists. So where does the law fit within that new technology? And and so it doesn't happen until there's a dispute because of the way the courts are set up. There's a lack of standing before that. So they very purposefully, like for instance, the Texas abortion law was purposefully written the way that it was when it was to create a standing uh, to somebody to question it, right? Because until that law existed, there's no way for it to get to the Supreme Court. There's no way for it to get there because it didn't exist. There's no dispute to be had, right? There's nobody that's being wronged on it. And so when you put it in that type of context, it's going to be a slow process there. It's going to be, and the legal field is going to be kicking and screaming its way into the next technology. So you're always going to see like, you know, financial and tech are always going to be at the forefront of things. Legal field are always going to be at the back end of things. That's that might be a a protection as well. I mean, kind of like an internal governor to kind of protect against fads. I mean, could you imagine if the law started chasing every new you know, patent that came out or every little thing. I mean, well, and that's where cryptocurrency comes in, right? Like it's a, it's a, it's a conundrum. Like it's one of those things that like, when you sit down and start analyzing it, most of the time, most people have punted on it, like legally speaking, because the, the SEC, the treasury, there's a lot of complex issues that go with, with cryptocurrency. Um, And, and so we're, it's just a whole different mess. It's like a mess that people don't want to deal with. Like they find a way to tax it, it and they'll, they'll figure it out. Oh yeah, of course they will. <laughs> they'll always tax it. Like here, here's a fun one for you. you. You know that you're supposed to, if you deal drugs, you're supposed to pay taxes on your drug money. Did you see, uh, it just had came out. It was actually, um, actually I think I have it right here. It was, um, I, I, literally my brother, he just sent this to me and I got to find it. Oh, did I just call something? Mm-hmm. Uh, he just sent it to me. Ah, it's too good not to find it. Let's see. Where did he send that? Ah, oh, man, it was the, oh, it's right here. I know it's here. Here's the IRS. Income from yeah. illegal activities, such as money from, this is the one probably you're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, money, your, um, uh, money from dealing drugs must be included in your income on Schedule 1, Form 1040, uh, line 8, or Section C from your self-employment activities. Here's the second one. This one was pretty good. Mm -hmm. Stolen property. If you steal property, you must report its FMV in your income in in the year you stole it 
unless in the same year you returned it to its rightful owner. Yep. Well, and, and they do that for a good reason. <laughs> because if they can't get you, like, look at Al Capone. They tried getting him on Rico charges for years and years and years and years. And how did they finally get him? Tax evasion. Tax evasion. That, that's yeah. the whole purpose of that statute. They might not be able to get you on, on crimes otherwise, but they can get you on tax evasion. But right? as a commoner, man, that sounds hilarious. <laughs> oh, it is. It is. It's, it's, easy, it's easy to prove, right? You didn't pay taxes. There's, here's money. Where'd the money come from? Oh, it came from this. Doesn't matter what it came from. Now you're a tax evasion. So it's, it's like the one, you know, one of the entities that you definitely don't want to piss off is the IRS. Mm -hmm. uh, many years ago, I worked as a tax preparer at 2005. So well, that's been a while. Um, I, I did a tax preparer and I worked on a, with a, a guy that had got out of the Navy and he had a fairly sizable return. And he had forgotten to pay the uh, commissary when he got out. Like he owed them like six bucks, like it really chump money, right? They held his tax return that was several thousand dollars for six weeks until the money was paid. And then he got his tax return. They deducted it from the tax return, but it, they held it for six weeks, $6 for out of a, and, and because I got the, the way that it worked was, is I, I did the tax amount and then what the check was, was two different amounts. And I did the math on it, obviously. And it came out, it was like six bucks. So if there's one entity you don't want to screw with, piss off, it's definitely the IRS because they will screw you royally. Um, that isn't to say that you can't take the deductions that you need to as a business owner. I'm not suggesting that you can't. You should be afraid of them in the respect of, of that they're going to come after you unnecessarily. But, and here's an interesting thought for you. Um, more sole proprietors get audited than corporations. Just because of the way that it, the tax code is written and the way that it's working, the IRS likes businesses better. Like they like formal business, LLC, corporation, that type of thing. So the, the, the percentage of audit uh, is a lot higher for a sole proprietor in a non-business uh, entity. So if there's a good reason, like almost double, like that's one of the reasons why they flag sole proprietors more often than, than uh, for audit than they do uh, corporations. So even though it's a single member LLC or a single shareholder corporation, so it's the same idea, they don't audit them nearly as much as they do um, a sole proprietor. So and that must all come down to collection. Well, and, and I mean, it, I think it also depends on how badly you piss them off. If you're playing with millions of dollars and you're not claiming it, or you're claiming crazy deductions for everything, they're going to take notice of that, right? Like, I mean, they're going to look at that and go, okay, your industry, you should be making this. You're only making that. Here's why, you know, here's the issue, like, or, or the profitability of it, right? Like you should be profitable doing this. Other people are profitable. Why are you not profitable? What's unique, right? And if it's because you're not doing things, then that's a different matter entirely. So if you don't, don't own a laundromat, you need to figure out a way to solve your yeah, I don't recommend a laundromat. Uh, like most cash-based businesses are more likely to be audited just because of, yeah. there's yeah. more skimming. You know, there's less reporting of income. So, well, Taylor yeah. Darcy, this has been an incredible experience. Um, I hope to have you on it again. I um, sure. 
I think that we've done, you know, a nice little overview. And I think maybe some of the next times, you know, we get to have you on, we get to maybe we'll pick a few good cases or something and dissect those. Um, how, how do people uh, find you? Um, this world of entrepreneurship, you know, you're the, you're the guy that solves those problems. How do they find you? Sure. Uh, so you can find me pretty much anywhere on social media, Think Legal PC, uh, but also my website, Think Legal PC, which is getting a redesign. Of, I've been working on getting that done. Uh, it's it's going to take a take a leap next year. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm available for consultations as well as uh, getting those contracts taken care of and uh, getting you, uh, you know, helping you along with your journey. Uh, one of the things I pride myself on is I don't nickel and dime my clients to death. Uh, so, you know, you have a, a true five minute conversation and, and, you know, we've got a good relationship. I'm happy to talk to you. I'm happy to give you the time that you need to, to, I'd rather take five minutes and have you make a great decision, uh, than to have you make a bad decision because you were afraid to call me. So, uh, and that can, you know, five minutes can save you. I, I mean, this isn't a Geico commercial, but, um, you know, it, it can save you quite a bit, like from a decision-making standpoint, uh, definitely. Uh, but, you know, you have to be a client first. Like I have to have that relationship with you in order for me to be able to, to do that. So, well, I think that the word reparosity and, and, and setting it up forward, you know, you have yeah. a good turn and you want them for life. So at the end of the day, I think exactly. that it's important you invest in those people, you know, you don't just have one solution as a business, just as a right. business, you, you do get to invest because you solve someone's problem. They're like, Hey, you're my doctor. If you can fix my knee, how's my shoulder. Right. So, <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, exactly. thanks a lot. That uh, closes out thank our you. episode today. It was amazing out of entrepreneur evolve moved. Thank you very much, my friend. Thank you very much. Thank you. If you like this episode, make sure you smash the like button and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Just like Nike is to athletes, Moved is to entrepreneurs.